sacred scripture is communicating eternal truths, not just interesting psychological insights. It's a pool that children can wade in and it's an ocean that can drown elephants. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. My name is Mike Gomer Gormley, and I'm joined, as always, by Dave Brand New World Van Vickle. How you doing, Dave? Brand New World. I'm, I'm doing good. Yeah. I said brand new. I meant brave, brave new. Yeah. Brave new. Yeah. We were just, we were just talking about some classical books, so that's where yes. Gomer comes from. Yeah. Um, I love that book. Do you like that book? Eh. Brave New eh. World? Yeah. Eh. eh. Man, I listened to an excellent summary by uh, the podcast Sacred and Profane Love, Sacred and Profane, eh, uh, with Dr. Jennifer Frey and yeah. Frey Foy. Oh, gosh, I'm butchering it. But she went through that with another literature expert, and I was like, man, I did not get any of this when I read yeah. the book. Do you ever feel like that? You read oh, a yeah. fiction book, and you're like, well, I have no clue what I read, apparently. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've, I felt that a, a few times. Yeah. You know what I'm, I'm my obsession right now is, um, no, I can't even remember the guy's name. Uh, it's your obsession. Yeah, I I can't stop reading his books, and now I can't remember his name. Cat. What are the books Catholic, about? Uh, the Thanatos syndrome is one of them. The movie goer. Mm. You know. Do I? Come on. Do I? Yeah. Yeah. You know. Uh, Thanatos syndrome. Yeah. Google says Walker Percy. Yeah. 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 Walker there Percy, it is. Southern okay. author. Yeah. So I yeah. So I've been reading a lot of his books and. Um, I love him, man. I love Walker Percy now, and it. I wouldn't like. I wouldn't put him in like the, like I would. I'm. I'm not gonna say they're classics, okay? Like mm -hmm. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. Uh, like moviegoer probably is, but uh, but like Thanatos Syndrome, what I'm reading right now is is more of just a like a really well written novel, but he has this way of like when like every time you meet a new character, I I like want to be, like I I rethink my life decisions. <laughs> so like like the main character in Thanatos system is uh Thanatos syndrome is a psychiatrist and I like immediately was like I should have been a psychiatrist like after because he's he's so cool I don't know there's something about this guy yeah but uh but he says something really interesting that I wanted to tell you about that I, I was planning to tell you this in our pre-show thing mm -hmm. but but I forgot but um. So, so he, so the way this book works is like, uh, he comes, he's gets out of prison. Okay. And he comes back to his hometown where he and tries to start up his practice once again. And everyone like social and moral norms have kind of like gone out the window. He's like, what the heck is going on here? Like something weird is happening. And he sees it like in his family and in his patients as well, but also like in other, other situations. And I, I haven't finished the book yet, so I don't know the whole story, but anyways, there's he's Catholic, okay, and this priest asks him, like, can you please go talk to your friend, Father So and So? He's living in the fire tower. He won't come out, and we think he's gone crazy. And we need help at the parish. We need help at the parish. So he goes out to see this priest, and the priest is it. So it's like he's clearly gone insane, but like in, but not, but not immoral. 
Okay. Mm. So like they're having this crazy conversation. He's a psychiatrist. So he's like trying to like, you know, evaluate him the whole time, you know, that they're having this conversation and it's long and it's crazy because it's like the guys obviously got some neuroses. Okay. And so at one point at the end of the conversation, the priest is like trying to get him to realize something that look, bad stuff is coming. Like academics like you are going to lead us to the gas chamber. Okay. He like says that. Okay. So it's like wow. very aggressive, you know? And there was this one line that I thought was very interesting. And I feel like our, our listeners are going to be like, why did he even bring this up? Because I, I just, I don't know why, but it's really, I've been thinking about this. He says that, He's relieved, okay? The doctor is relieved to be on the footing of open hostility, right? And I think that that is interesting, an interesting sentence for this time in our country because there is no open hostility. It's just either dismissing yeah. or or like kind of like a, a pseudo hostility, and it, it was just interesting because this guy is crazy, and he so he's like trying, he's like wading in the waters of his craziness. Mm -hmm. But then finally, the guy is like directing towards him, and it's like he feels solace in the fact that okay, now I know where I stand. Like he's coming after me right now, mm. and I do think there's something to be said about that. That it's yep. kind of like to the point where I feel like we're starting to get to know where we stand with things in the culture. I don't know. Anyways. Well, okay, so taking that phrase of open hostility, right? Like, I think there's an element where enough cold wars, right, where it's not a hot war, right, open hostility. The cold war is, like, psychologically damaging because you don't. Everything is shadow games and you don't understand and all this stuff that you almost wish for the simplicity of open hostility, right? Yeah, like, right, you right. almost just want it to be like, yes, now it is time, let's do this. Right. And, uh and that's, I think, I think that's the razor sharp um, clarity that comes with suffering. And right now I'm going through, I just finished a book about, um, a, a, about a U.S., uh, what was he? He was an Army Ranger 3rd Battalion sniper, and he was known as the Reaper and uh, because he had 33 confirmed kills as a sniper, and that's the record holder for, for all of the U.S. Rangers. And when... You listen to their stories. One of the things that I constantly take away is the um, how much the mind games of not being able to fight, like you know, rules of engagement that are so right. absurd. You know, they're they're really politicians who set them up so that they can't get blamed for anything, and yet they're still throwing our men into harm's way. But also this notion of like there is nothing but relief when they're finally able to actually engage. And I, right. I found that really funny because this is the second story that I've listened to. One was by a former Navy SEAL. This one's by a former Army Ranger. And what you just said, like, what, what was it, the, the the relief of being on the footing of open hostility? Yeah. yeah. Like, that is expressed so much. And I do think it's, it's like uh, waiting for the sword to fall or, you know, like the yeah. other shoe to fall. And the waiting is driving us insane, right? Yeah. Right. Oh, I, I definitely think that's true. The waiting. It's it, uh something is happening for sure in the culture. Right. And so the so the waiting of like how is it going to be stopped or how is it going to be enacted? That's yeah, that's a big question for me. Yeah. Uh, and anyways, the, we should, yeah, yeah. I, I just want to make this one comment. Something is happening in the culture. This one guy said, My whole political life exists or my public life exists to pull our culture back from the ledge. 
because he believes that who, we're, who is this? Who is this? I like I like what you're saying. Okay, so it was Jordan Peterson <laughs> oh. <laughs> who, who was interviewing. Uh, I can't remember the other guy. The other guy. I mean, they all are, there's like this whole culture of um, the anti wokeness that's going around. Yeah, but, and so and also if you're at that level, you have the savior complex too. Yeah. but I get what you're saying. I totally. Yeah. Get what you're so his, his but his thing is like I need to help Democrats not become radical socialists. And Republicans not become far right. He's like, that's what I see my mission as because I see our culture as a whole running off a ledge. And it's almost like like the insurrection stuff going on in D.C. Like we want violence to break out just to end the ambiguity. And he's like, nope, nope, nope. You need to come back. Pull it back, people. Right. 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 So that is it is it is a bizarre time to be alive. It is such a bizarre time. But there's one thing I know. And that's the truth of the gospel, Dave. It's the truth of the gospel. <laughs> I always say, I the, my family always makes fun of me because I'll like go on these long tirades and I'll I'll act like I'm being totally serious and I'll I'll just say like I'm just I'm just one man like just one man <laughs> holding up the entire the weight of the earth is on my shoulders. I'm just trying my best to ca- to carry you all right now. And my, Amber will be like, "Stop it! That is so ridiculous." You know, which <laughs> obviously I know it's ridiculous. But. <laughs> but man, you keep working out the way you are, you will be able to lift up the whole world on those shoulders. So Atlas. broad, yeah, yeah, so broad. Um, okay, let's talk about our actual topic, which is yeah, so. One of the things that I keep getting asked is, how do you do youth group in the time of COVID? And everyone is having different um, different restrictions and stuff. I was just talking with uh, a wonderful woman out in Ro- um, yeah Rhode Island, and she was telling me of the craziness. Now, she's a volunteer. They have a very small youth group. They confirm in eighth grade, so a lot of the high school students just aren't present. But I confirm sophomore year, so we leverage, you know, you got to come your freshman year and all this stuff. So, of course, freshman and sophomore year are the biggest groups. But uh, she was asking me, like, what what do I do to reach out to them? What do I do to talk to them? And I was like, well, are you meeting in person? Yes, with these restrictions and blah, blah, blah. So I just wanted to share a little bit of what I'm trying to do. And one of the things that I realized is there is a profound lack of biblical knowledge of Catholic young people to the point where I would say that our generation of kids who maybe were raised in public schools did not have good Sunday school, faith formation, RE, whatever you called it, um, just the cultural knowledge of the Bible was, I want to say, and this is going to sound absurd, 10 times greater in a public school than I find in almost all of the kids that I'm educating here in youth group. Oh, I think and, that's true. I think 10 times. I don't think that's hyperbolic at all. Yeah. Like they don't even, they've never heard the phrase Cain and Abel. Right. 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 So uh, so yesterday I actually spent about 10 minutes and I was surveying them and I said, how many of you have ever heard of Moses, the Ten Commandments? Because earlier they had said no. And it was one of my groups. So this was like a different group. But um, so we're walking through. So basically what I'm doing is I take Scott Hahn's book, A Father Who Keeps His Promises. I break it down into 12 lessons for the high school kids. I bring them all into this room, uh, our youth room, and they're all like spaced out and blah, blah, blah. Um, but the idea is I need to get the kids to understand scripture because if you don't get scripture, you don't get Jesus. You don't get Jesus. You don't understand salvation, right? You don't know how to relate to one another. You don't know how to connect with one another on a moral level. And what I'm starting to see across the board is we don't know how to teach moral reasoning at all. And because we're depriving kids of the great stories, we're depriving them of the fictional 
inculcation of uh, morals or the narrative okay. inculcation okay. of morals, right? Okay, I get so, what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. great so, books that like. Yeah, empathy, yeah, well, I mean, those like, kinds of things, right? Yeah, so when we were talking about Walker Percy and Aldous Huxley and all this stuff, these are like Aldous Huxley and Brave New World and George Orwell's 1984 were huge wake up calls to a culture that was running towards socialism and the commodification of society. Uh, Brave New World is mostly an anti-capitalist um, thing, but his whole idea of like, right, people would have mantras that they would say, like, right. why mend when you can spend and things like that. Like, why fix your, you got a tear in your pants, just go buy a new pair of pants. And it's so funny because I'm like, oh gosh, I'm just like that. <laughs> right? Like, that is me. Oh, I got I a hole in my pants. Well, time to go spend 50 bucks at Target. Right. But uh, I got a coupon. But uh, the <laughs> so one of the things that I'm realizing is depriving them of biblical stories and the narratives, right? The narratives that are so bizarre and weird in Genesis and Exodus, in you know First and Second Samuel and Kings, um, we are depriving them of their capacity of moral reasoning. That's one of the side effects. Not only are they not knowing salvation, they don't know how to navigate moral claims on their heart and soul, right? So what you find is it's all reduced to emotion. And if I can make an emotional appeal and the idea of, um, the idea of discrimination, the idea of decision-making, the idea of all that is just lumped in a category called judgmentalism. And yeah. they don't have, they do not have the resources to evaluate claims and that's the thing that I am finding over and over again in our people my age and younger is they don't even have these great stories. All they have is emotional appeals. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? No, I I love what you're talking. This is a mm -hmm. this is something I think about all the time now that we are trying desperately to teach children or teach no society, not even mm -hmm. children, principles. And so what we do is instead of like allowing them to build a, a massive experience that's too big for their own lifetime through literature, mm -hmm. we're, we're putting it into a textbook and it's not working. Right. So then, so then like you have situations where you, have you read this article where they're telling, they're trying to get uh, med students to go back and read the great books so that they have some empathy for people. Right. <laughs> I mean, I mean well, well, I'm, I'm just, I'm being serious that, that like yeah. it is so much easier to teach a child scripture, the great scripture stories, than to try to remedy what that scripture would have put into him in yeah. in high school, you know, through print through philosophical principles or something like yeah. that. Yeah, which is what I'm finding. So yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm awesome. here and I'm with uh, with the kids now. Uh, for everyone, <sighs> Jordan Peterson is a very difficult personality because he comes with so much <laughs> you keep baggage. Him up. You're totally a follower. I, I, okay, so here's the funny thing. So when I first heard about him with the whole transgender debate, I was like, okay, so this guy's just you know a right wing conservative, and I probably agree with his stance on. But his stance was not I'm anti trans people. His stance was if I don't no. stand up and say Canada, you are wrong for forcing compelled speech, and you're going to imprison people and fine people for uh, by compelling them to speak in you know using pronouns and stuff. He said. If I don't speak up, no one will, and uh, I, I will be lying to my own values. And so he began to, and that's where he became famous. So what I started doing was looking at his lectures before he became famous. And Bishop Barron, 
has been very adamant, like, Jordan Peterson is doing something that the Catholic Church has failed to do. I think Scott Hahn has done this in a lot of ways for Catholics who are already committed, which is to get the biblical stories to come alive, to make sense to our modern mind, and to explain things in great depth. And as I'm going through it, I re-listen to Jordan Peterson and Bishop Barron talking to each other. And I realize that Carl Jung, from whom Jordan Peterson draws a lot of stuff from, um, although he's not a strict Jungian in, at all, but he, I didn't know this, but Carl, uh, Carl Jung spent a, he read all the fathers and right. I did not know right. that. And so he had tons of stuff. Now he's not a Catholic. He's not, you know, he takes things into weird places, but one of the things that Jordan Peterson did was he did these biblical lectures and he was filling this, uh, theater and he would give two and a half hour lectures on Genesis and people showed up in droves and they have millions of views. And then you look at Catholics and you listen to homilies, you listen to this stuff. And I realize that there is a deep and profound lack of timeless biblical truth, way to live in the world and absolute practical application. And when you listen to Jordan Peterson go over Genesis 1 or Genesis 2 or the story of the fall, you see these things coming together from a psychologist's perspective. And he over and over again says things like, now, 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 I'm not speaking metaphys metaphysically, I'm speaking psychologically, which he's trying to say, like, these stories tell us more about ourselves, and maybe they originated from ourselves, and you don't need divine inspiration, but he's like, but you do need to shut up and pay attention to these stories and quit dismissing them. So as I'm talking to these kids, and as I'm hearing the stuff that's coming out of them, I realize that they don't have these stories anchoring their lives, so I right. have to figure out ways of radically, <laughs> radically hitting them upside the head with these biblical truths. And that's where I'm seeing fruit and discouragement just maxed out, right? I am just, yeah. I, I feel like I'm floundering in a lot of ways. And then I see these kids and they come up and they say, well, let me ask you these questions. And they ask incredibly painful and insightful questions. And I don't know, it's it's really transformed. How, how do you teach something like Adam and Eve or Genesis in general, or Exodus. I was just doing Exodus yesterday. Yeah, I mean, well, probably not well now that now that we're bringing this up. Mm. Now that we're bringing this up, probably not well, right? Because I would put almost all of it in the context of of catechetical, sacramental theology, yeah. economy of salvation. I probably wouldn't have put it like I think I probably would have taught Plato different than Genesis. Mm -hmm. And now I'm thinking like, well, that's a whole nother, there's a whole nother element to this, which is the philosophical foundations, right, yeah. that that we can get from Genesis. And I don't even mean like theology of the body. Yeah. That's pretty intense. I mean, just great ideas, yeah. right? Like Mortimer Adler's great ideas, right? That that kind of thing that we can draw out of it. I don't I don't know. Now you've got me questioning a lot of this. Um, but I totally get what you're saying in the sense that. Well, one of the things, you know, I'm going to go back. People are going to be sick of me harping on great books. <laughs> one of the things, like you said, Young read the fathers. Young read everything. Yeah. He he read every single thing, right? He was He's one of the guys that our favorite podcaster studies, right? Cal Newport in, in Deep yeah. Work. Isn't Young the yeah. one? Yeah. And, and he talks about, like, you know, his fortress of solitude, basically, where he's there, you know, just either reading or thinking or writing, right? And and Jordan Peterson read everything. See, I I got hooked on Jordan Peterson when he was they released a video of him ripping into Harvard students mm. where he was saying like 
you know, you you graduate from Harvard now, and you haven't even read a, a you know a tenth of the classics. Yeah, like that's insane. That's ridiculous. You know, and and I think that I totally get what you're saying now, right? That they have no biblical foundation to stand on, even for moral principles, even for great big philosophical moral principles. And how do we draw that out? Man, okay. I don't yeah. know. So let me give you, uh, for instance, so um, one of the things is I have to tackle Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and 3. Um, I have to tackle them because so many kids are atheists because they look at Genesis, they roll their eyes, these are stupid little stories, yeah. and they don't even mention evolution. Let's go on. So I spend so much time because they'll dismiss the Bible out and out. And so my goal right. is to get them to say, like, just to give it an honest hearing. And what I have found is that that Jordan Peterson approach gives it an honest hearing, even if I don't agree with his interpretations, which I think some of his interpretations are just flat out wrong. I think they're dubious, you know, the idea, but they're still found. Some of them are still found in the church fathers, right? Like, um, St. Irenaeus believed that Adam and Eve had to eat the apple in order to mature. Right. Right. That right. it was a knowledge, though it was sinful, they had to mature in that way. And so that's a big component of his of the eating of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil is is a mythological representation of Adam and Eve having consciousness, humanity reaching consciousness. And the first thing we realize is we're going to die. So it's like this death knowledge and how powerful it is. And I, I honestly think there's a lot of truth in that. But what I found, so what I do is I start with Dr. Han, right? And the way he lays out Genesis, especially chapter one. And I go through, I start with Han and Cardinal Ratzinger and his book on Genesis. And the idea is look at the ordered creation. God speaks and it is. So there's a harmony between truth and action completely, words and deeds. So if you have words and deeds completely aligned in God, then how does God create? What he creates is not just true, but it's also good, right? So imagine you're a culture where you worship a God who's not petty, who doesn't kill human beings the way uh, children swat at flies, which is a famous phrase from... Uh, uh, the Bridge of San Luis Rey, the idea that God the Father fathers creation. That is a fundamentally different outlook on the universe than what you would derive from these myths. So half of what I'm doing is using Scott Hahn, using biblical scholarship to set the historical stage for the sacred authors. So understanding the violence of the pagan kingdoms and how they brought, how they viewed their gods as bringing about creation through violence and upheaval and all this stuff, bringing in the psychological stuff wherever I can. Like, do you see the powerful insight where a culture worships a God whose words and deeds are perfectly aligned and that that's what we call good, right? And it is very good. And everything in creation is very good. What does that say about a culture that were their highest form, the highest being possible, the highest philosophical ideal is truth and goodness perfectly interacting, right? And so, and that that's a very Jordan Peterson type thing. When I go into Adam and Eve, the whole idea of, of Adam and Eve and the fall and like weaving through like Eve, here in three sentences, you have the fall, right? So jam-packed right. within this is 
Eve knowing the limits of her freedom and the serpent drawing her attention to the limits of her freedom. Every time you and I sin, big or small, what the devil does is he draws our attention to the limits of our freedom and to become like, and to doubt the generosity of God, right? And then, so you kind of go through a psychology of the fall, but you're keeping it in line with the catechism and all this stuff. So you're teaching the doctrine of original sin, how I sin as an individual and how this brilliant, super summarized view of sin and the fall reverberates it throughout salvation history. So I'm trying to hit all those things, but um, yeah, I don't know. I see this is the problem. I talk and I get so excited about this that I just keep talking for hours and hours, but um, I don't know. What are your thoughts? No, that was good. No, that was good. I, th- I think that, you know, this is kind of like we've I think we've talked about this on the show before, like one of the ways that I prepare, like the reason why I don't just use cookie cutter Bible studies at my parish, you know, like programs is because I feel that ev- everything falls short a little bit. And that that's an obvious yeah. statement. And so like the way I prepare is literally I'll I'll read everything I can about it. Right. And then try to take out what I think is important about that. And that could mean psychological, philosophical, mythological, moral, yeah. sacramental, covenantal, right? All those kinds yeah. of things uh, to put it into there because there really isn't something like that. I think that what I'd like to know is this this is what I'd like to know. Okay. If we expose them to these younger, is it an organic thing? Like, it, like, let's say that we, like with my own children, right? They're exposed to these stories extensively. Mm-hmm. Is it organic or do we have to explicitly draw out these points? Because I have a feeling that it's more organic. Yeah. And I think that that's the problem is it's almost too late by the time they're in high mm-hmm. school to go back because they have so many assumptions assigned about. Yeah. And so the other thing is what are the stories that they're getting? What are the narratives? And we talked about narratives and the importance of it, but we didn't really approach it from a fiction slash moral perspective. What are the narratives that they are hearing in their culture that they have accepted that might be, that might make them antithetical to reception of the gospel. Right. I mean, they are told all the time by by testimonies essentially of celebrity culture and all that stuff that if you have a desire, you have every right to fulfill it here and now. Yeah. Right. Right. And so, yeah, well, okay. Okay. But there, there's also like this, I think the danger of Jordan Peterson and the danger of there, there is like a weird culture out there where, People will act that they're not uh, antithetical to the Bible, mm-hmm. and for Jordan Peterson, it's real. He's not antithetical. Mm-hmm. To, like he's, he, he, he loves the Bible. There's no question. But they'll walk right up to it and look at it as, a, as the Iliad or the mm-hmm. Odyssey. Mm-hmm. So you'll have teachers, like English teachers, uh, science teachers in these schools, who will say, like, "Oh yeah, I, I love Genesis. It's like it's awesome Christian mythology," yeah. and that. I think there's a danger. Well, no, I I know there's a danger there. Right. Right. Because we have to make that extra step of like, well, no, no. The problem is if Genesis is Christian mythology, Jesus is Christian mythology. You know, we we can't do that. Right. And so what I do is I connect when I'm drawing out the morals, right, that the that the like you can analyze it from a literary perspective. Right. It's called literary criticism. That's not a faithless act. Right. 
and you right. can derive right. like the church has the quadriga, right? The four, the fourfold method of interpretation. There's the moral, the anagogical, right? All these different things. But at at its heart and soul, so what I'll do is, as I'm talking, I'll say, okay, so what I want to do is give you a moral interpretation right now of what you're hearing and to show you how insightful this is. But then what I do is give them the uh, allegorical interpretation of how Christ fulfills it, or or I'll, I'll attach a scripture verse. So for instance, when I teach the story of Noah, right, the when you get into chapter six, it talks about the wickedness of the world, right? And all the, the thoughts of all men were of violence and their imaginations were filled with sin and evil continuously. But Noah walked with God. Noah was righteous and blameless in uh, in his day or in his generation, right? And so I talked to them, and so I'll do a moral interpretation of that being. If you want to be immoral, go to the crowd because the crowd will give you cover from your own conscience, uh, your own conscience, right? It'll it'll protect you from hearing the voice of your conscience, and the crowd will give you concealment from the judgmental eyes of others because you feel like you're lost in the crowd. You're just one among hundreds or thousands or eight in your high school or whatever it might be. But at the end of the day, that's all a lie. Right. You do have to answer for your conscience. You do. You are an individual who's doing these things. And then I said, okay, now turn and listen to Christ. The wise man is the one who hears these words of mine and does them foundation of the rock or built on the rock because when the winds rains and floods come and they will come, your house will stand. But what do these other people do? So I connect the floodwaters of life to the flood of Noah, right? And I try to build. So my goal is to keep them sacred while I'm giving the moral interpretation. So I'm like, okay, so you see the floodwaters of Noah represents like God's, it's the consequences of what evil is, right? And then I tie that to Jesus being like, these are all a bunch of foolish men building their house on sand. Noah by not conforming to the crowd has to be alone. And if he's alone, he's walking with God, right? Like you can't truly be alone. You can't separate from the crowd unless you're walking with God. You have to walk with someone, right? How, how, how does it, how is this received when you do this? this so for, for high school. Yeah. So I would say that this last class was probably my most difficult because I had, um, when I originally set up the two classes, I set them up so that their numbers wouldn't get too big and we could control, you know, people, but a lot of people still prefer virtually. So I ended up this week combining the two classes. So there's a handful in the first one, a lot in the second one I combined them. So there's different dynamics kind of happening in this environment. And then, um, and then it was just, it was just, I was having an off day in terms of my presentation and we were going through Moses, right? <laughs> so, you know, the okay. law, right? And if they already, uh, like their knowledge of it is just children's stories, you know, he goes up, he gets the 10 commandments, he comes down, da-da, golden calf. So I'm trying to give them the backstory. So I noticed their boredom more than in previous weeks. So I immediately switch gears and start telling them stories, like real stories of my life that connect to this. So uh, okay. a woman who worshipped her father's approval, and when she yeah. learned how to cast down the idol of her father's approval, she then, and accepted the love of the father expressed through the death and resurrection of Jesus, she could then speak truth to her real father, and that brought reconciliation. And so when I would do that, they were like, what? And so one of the kids came up to me afterwards and said, you know, that was a hard class going through all of the, cause I gave them, okay, so here's the other thing. 
I gave them seven pages of scripture. <laughs> oh my God. So I went through and I got the most important parts from Exodus to tell the Exodus story. I didn't even get all that I wanted, but, and I printed it out in oh paragraphs and I passed it out to everyone. So everyone in my, in this room had seven pages of scripture and I just like summarized most of the paragraphs. So I summarized Moses's life, but I'm like, it's still important that you know that he was a baby floating in a basket, right? It's still important that you know Pharaoh's daughter is the one that took him, but I'm not going to go through all that I need to get to the 10 plagues to the destruction of the Red Sea and to um, you know the manna and all that stuff but uh, the golden calf Mount Sinai I need to get to Exodus 24 but um, in doing that the I, I had to stop I think it was four times and just totally like okay story time and just go right into the story because I was losing yeah yeah that's I mean yeah I'm 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 very I'm fascinated right now with the idea of communicating to high schoolers the truths that they need to know because I I just it's and I'm not criticizing high schoolers. I found that their their knowledge now is so vast but so shallow. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I you know, I had two years in high school where the teachers in my high school would literally like they would get angry at you if you asked them what your grade was. Like like visibly angry. <laughs> cuz cuz they would be like and they would they would say annoying things like, "Well, what do you think your grade should be? Are you, are you learning things?" You know, like things yeah. like that, okay? And I'm really thankful for that perspective because it took us out of a of a rat race culture. Yeah. And taught us, you know, what, like important principles. And I don't, I just don't think we have that now with high schoolers. So I'm, I'm, I'm deeply interested in what you're saying because I, I don't know what you do. I, you know, first of all, you know, I don't like high schoolers, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, but I am interested in them as a, as a topic of study, I guess I would say. Yeah. And it's hard because I want to be able to get them to fall in love with the Bible. Right, because I understand that sacred scripture is communicating eternal truths, not just interesting psychological insights, right? And the eternal truths that I need them is is something that they have to see that it's, what was the line um, one of the church fathers said about John's gospel? Uh, it's a it's a pool that children can wade in, and it's an ocean that can drown elephants, right? And I feel like all they do is hear the children's stories told in a childish way, and they can easily dismiss it. And so my hope yeah. is to repristinate, to use a Dr. Regis Martin word, to repristinate the scriptures so as to set their hearts on fire, right? I really desperately <laughs> want to do that, so... Yeah, so um, you know we're gonna take a quick break. Throw it out to our wonderful advertisers. If you want uh, to, if any of this conversation resonated with you, or you have an approach that's very similar to this, tell us about it. I want to hear what you're doing, especially high school, junior high ministry, elementary school, um, young adult ministry. What are you doing to make the gospels, to make the Bible come? Alive. You can email us at eksb at ascensionpress.com. That email goes to both me and Dave, um, so we'll be able to review it. So we'll be right back. Nestled under the warm Florida sun is a university whose name indicates a vocational call. Ave Maria, Latin for Hail Mary, recalls the angel Gabriel's announcement to Mary of her future vocation, becoming the mother of God. 
Enriched by God's grace, Mary freely ascends to this call. This is the model for all students. Come to Ave Maria University, where we offer a liberal arts curriculum buoyed by the sacraments. This empowers you to clearly see your vocational call, whatever that might be. Ave Maria University, your vocation location. Visit AveMaria.edu or call 1-833-AMUSWFL. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Every Knee Shall Bow. Uh, special thanks, as always, to our good friends at Ascension Press. They keep the lights on in the Gormley home. Uh, one of the things that uh, me and Dave talked about during the break is um, where can we point people to an example of this? So I have a SoundCloud account called soundcloud.com slash AMD Gomer. If you don't know what SoundCloud is, SoundCloud's like the YouTube of audio. So soundcloud.com slash AMD Gomer. I thought I was signing up for a, a, a just a screen name, and it turned out to be my URL. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, man, my freshman year in college screen name has now backfired on me. But um, if you just go there and click recent tracks, um, you'll find a bunch of this stuff that I, uh, I've i uploaded from my inclusion class where I do these very things. Now, if you want, you can go to faithandreason.thinkific.com. And I'm building a uh, class called The Big Picture where I literally walk. It's my videos from the high school class that I walk people through. So um, I'll put some links on uh, the SoundCloud account so that you guys can see that and uh, just get a listen and see what it's like as I fumble with trying to evangelize high school students. Yeah. And uh, besides that, what I want you to think about is something special that Gomer and I are going to announce. Gomer and I are going to do a week-long evangelization springboard evangelization boot camp okay uh it's going to be uh sunday through thursday night we're each going to take a, a night and alternate and then on the last night we'll be together uh we're going to do this on go to webinar now the information and details are to come but start thinking about would you like to spend a week with us learning about evangelization and we'll uh, we'll have those details up soon yeah, so these are going to be four evening classes, right? Four or five? Uh, five. Five evening classes, yeah. Five. Five evening classes that you can join, participate, go to webinars. So it'll be a big webinar, um, and we'll have all that additional details to follow. So God bless y'all. God bless. God bless. 